you guys doing everybody what's up tone what's up joe how's it going guys pretty good we had a uh, shockingly beautiful weather this week man it high 70s i actually think it hit 81 the other day i was in the 80s yesterday yeah i was able to get out on my bike i rode out on the trail for a couple hours i gotta do it while i can man there's probably not going to be many weekends like that again for six months. Yeah, probably not. What are you going to do, you know? Just get ready for the cold and rain all October. I'd actually rather have it like bitter cold, like February cold, than the kind of 40 degrees and raining. I hate that the worst for some reason. No, I the bitter cold at all. But yeah, I get you. My joints ache when it's rainy and whatever. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't like super bitter cold anymore. Well, I don't like it either. But like to me too, just the gray depressingness of it, man, bums me out. Like if it's clear skies and freezing, at least for some reason, I, I seem to handle that better. You know. Oh yeah, there's a thing about uh, the lack of sun. You get I forgot what it's seasonal depression, um, and. Uh, seasonal effect disorder i believe it's called where you know if you don't get the sun you kind of get depressed and i can i can see that for sure but you know then again there's there's areas of, i don't know what is it seattle where they get predominant rainfall i'm sure there's other areas as well yeah um i was talking to uh was it you joe no i don't know i don't think it was you no, maybe it was you about you know when you live in california or someplace where it's nice all year round you kind of end up taking it for granted you know but uh, we've been lucky, you know, I mean, the last, I mean, we do get some storms, snow storms, but look at these areas that get these crazy hurricanes and the, the destruction and, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Flooding's the worst, man. I've just had small floods in my basement and stuff and it's just, oh man, what a drag, you know, sometimes like the sub pump, we had like power out for three or four days in one of my neighborhoods and yeah, just eventually everything in the basement gets trashed. And I can't imagine what it's like for those people on the coast where like you see it going into their first floor and sometimes higher, you know, it's just, everything's wrecked, man. That's just, that is awful. I don't know how, you know, and like, I think this weekend, another hurricane's hitting the South. Um, like just six weeks ago, they had a, a named storm and now they're getting hit by another one. I, I don't know how the people hack it. That's rough. It already went through Delta. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Delta. But, uh, yeah, you got to have flood insurance, too, even if you're not, I mean, I know people, I've, not personally, but I've read of people who do not live in a flood area, yet they, you know, things happen and you get a flood, they don't have flood insurance, and, you know, it's uh, devastating. That's why I would never, 
well, the way I live, the work, you know, I don't have anything of, uh, you know, super value in the basement just because everything I have is, you know, on the living floors. I do have stuff in the basement though. That's nice, but it's elevated. It's, you know, like the televisions I have down there are well wall mounted and, you know, um, and, and, you know, things like that. So, uh, even if I did get some water, you know, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. You know, the bed down there is elevated, but thankfully we're pretty, uh, pretty secure here. You know, my basement is pretty waterproofed and I did have a little water when I first moved in and the landlord took care of it. Um, so if, if I do get a little bit, it's like a, you know, like, like you spilled a glass of water kind of thing. Not a big deal. What's up with you, Nico? Have you officially moved? I mean, I know you moved out, but have you got your permanent digs? No, no, I'm still looking for places. So in a transition right now, but I'm glad I got to move over with. Yeah. Yeah. Moving is the, man, it's a big stressful thing. I, I tend to try to live for a long time in my, in my locations. You know, I don't, I mean, um, whatever it's 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 tough i know people who have moved because of their work you know they're moving every year or two years I'm like, wow or military people think about that you know where you're always constantly moving that's you know it's tough and that's something that's you know i i don't know i'm not saying i'm going to live here the rest of my life i don't know but you know as far as a major move like out of illinois or something drastic like that i i don't look i don't think that's going to happen i don't know but i don't think so i don't look forward to that you know i did that once coming from cleveland to from ohio to illinois uh yeah it's you know it's tough it, it really is did you bring a lot of stuff with you when you moved no just cleveland? What, no just what i could fit in my car and of course i was staying at a motel and i got broken into when i went to the store so I lost so many mementos that I had from Cleveland. From I brought my, well my drums, my accordion got stolen. Those that big, and then I had cassette tapes back then, just tons of stuff, audio recordings and just photos, and that just all got stolen. Everything they took everything, my clothes and everything. Oh, oh man! Well, that's why I didn't go. I mean, I thought about you know, hey, I'm going back to Cleveland, but I couldn't. Now I lost everything. You know, um, I wasn't here long. I'm talking about like two, three weeks. You know, um, so it was not a pleasant start. And You're welcome to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and it was technically, uh, I believe that would have been um, River Grove or, or, or uh, Franklin Park, technically, you know, where the, where the motel was. It's still there, but a different name. It used to be called the Lighthouse Lodge Motel. It was River Grove. That's exactly where it was because I remember having to go, having to, go to the River Grove Police Department. They never found anything. They think they know who did it. You know, there was a woman there, you know, in, in the complex, you know, a prostitute in, apparently in the motel. And they, but they, 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 they couldn't go in. They, they didn't have a warrant. There's nothing they could do. So I never got anything recovered. Um, I've been the victim of that. I mean, they stole my, my Chevelle out of my lock garage in Cleveland. I got a car stolen out here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the first time they broke into my house in Cleveland when I was once when I was there, living there, but I wasn't home. And then when I was living out here, my grandmother was still there. And then they took everything left, you know, pretty much. So, yeah, it's just been, uh, you know, not cool. And when that happens, that's a big violation. You know, you don't really, you know, after it happened so many times, you, you just start to not get attached to a, lot, to a lot of things. 
Um, oh, yeah, my basement where I used to live in Elmwood Park, too. But that was an inside job, you know, and uh, stuff I had in the storage in the basement. We had a little storage thing, but it was a family member of the landlord, apparently, that, uh, you know, that did it. Never got that stuff back either. So, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, just uh, getting ready for the, the change of seasons. I mean, you know, it is technically fall, but it's going to start catching up with us. I know the weather's going to change probably in a month. You know, we're going to be lucky, lucky if we hit the 50s, right? Yeah. I used to talk on uh, when I had my Facebook thing every day about learning to train when the weather changes, you know, because, you know, your, uh, your physical attire, your clothing out here, this is in the Midwest, North you know, areas, northeast, wherever the, you know, where you have this tremendous change in weather, you know, you, you got to be prepared for your, tr your training changes. Okay. Like Joe's talking about riding a bicycle and, you know, you know that's going to change. Um, and just the clothes, the articles of clothing that you wear, uh, you got to be prepared for, you know, how to defend yourself uh, when, when all of that changes. Yeah. It's uh you know, that's why when it, we were talking about sub-zero weather, man, I've been out there where it's frigid. I would not want, you know, I don't want to hit people and do things like that when it's like freezing like that, man. Oof. But everything, uh, everything hurts when it's cold. It does. Everything does hurt. You become more fragile. You're more inclined to injure yourself. Um, and you got to watch, you know, but again, mental preparedness is, is something that you can deal with. You, you can go out there. And, you know, and train in this, you know, or even if, even if you j wear your heavy jacket and whatever it is that you wear, you know, your boots and this and that. And even if you're indoors, at least start there, train like that with, with that heavy clothing on, if that's what you wear, you know, and, and get used to it. See how difficult it is to move, how restricted you may be, you know, uh, and people don't do that. Well, I shouldn't say people in general. I mean, but a lot of people don't do that. There's rules and regulations at these gyms. And, you know, um, sometimes they just, you got to reevaluate your rules. You know, like in school, when we used to have um, field trips, it wasn't like we had field trips every day, but now and then you had a field trip. Or now and then, you know, you had a extended recess period. Well, that's what you have to do in your training, you know, even if it's a couple times a month, just allow them to train in street clothes. And, you know, so the people get used to what it's like, you know, it's many people have never actually worked out or did anything in a true um, everyday reality situation. I find that, I find that shocking, tell you the truth. Yeah, I love working out in the snow. I got I use a pair of combat boots and I go running and do all kinds of stuff out in the cold weather and I always love doing that. Well you weren't training to fight Ivan Drago, were you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was working out with logs too. Yeah, there you go. I think that was my inspiration, Rocky. Well, yeah, well, that, I mean, I'm a lot older than you. I was there when, when the actual Rocky, the first one came out, and you bet that was an inspiration for me. I was about 12 years old, um, if I remember correctly. It doesn't matter. I was around that age. 
And uh, yeah, whew. what a what a thing! Everybody has something like that. I mean, a lot of movies inspired me. You know, Breaking Away got me really. I used to ride my bike, but that got me into wanting to really be a competitive cyclist. You know, watching that movie that's still to me a great movie. You know, I I love it. Um, and that came out um, again when I was. 14, 15, something like that. Yeah, it was before I had my driver's license. Yeah, and I trained hard, you know, um, on my cycle when I could in the summer, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think everybody has, they draw some inspiration. I don't know if this is true or if it's publicity but uh, or PR, public relations, but I remember reading about Charles Atlas and how he got inspired when he visited uh, one of the, you know, the museum, New York Museum of Art or something. And he saw the statues of the, the, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, the Hercules and Atlas and all of that. And, you know, the, uh, that inspired him um, to want to build his body up. Now, again, it could just could be hyperbole, but I don't know. There's probably a grain of truth to that. And if it didn't inspire him, I'm sure it inspired others. So sometimes we draw our inspiration, you know, from, from different sources. You have any inspirations there, Joe, when you were younger that, you know, movies or something? Well, steel magnolias, those girls were very tough. Have you ever seen that? No, but I figured it would be something like that. Or maybe, you know, the commercials for the Pillsbury Doughboy that might've inspired you too. I am a fan of cookies, so there is there is probably some inspiration there. But no, actually, the Rocky movies. I, I the I'm a sucker for like training montages. So like when he's getting ready and they show him like running and um, you know you know using the sledgehammer in the junkyard and actually a lot of the stuff he did. This was before primitive training became like trendy like it is now. But you know like all that kind of stuff was just super exciting to watch and enjoy. Um, I was actually going to bring that up because we were talking about pain training last um, week. And that was the first, I think the first introduction I had to the idea of like impact training was watching him. He was like doing sit-ups and his training partner was just slamming him in the stomach, you know, between his, and it kind of like triggered a, an idea for me. I, you know, we've had that a few times, like different martial arts where I've trained uh, like Muay Thai, where we would just kick each other not a hundred percent, but we'd slowly build up kicking each other in the legs to kind of build um, that tolerance. I think I learned that not actually from Muay Thai, but from some bando guys I met one time that they did a lot of stuff like that, a lot of uh, impact conditioning. But the first time I saw that or that concept was an Iraqi movie, you know, so, um, but definitely, you know, action movies are always a lot of fun. And then watching sports on TV, of course. Yeah, well, you know, I had already been boxing when the Rocky movies came out, or the first Rocky movie came out. So I had already been um, uh, introduced to that kind of hard type of training because um, there were no, there was no gyms or equipment, you know, like we have nowadays. And even so, boxing back then, uh, they were not, most coaches, trainers were opposed to any sort of weightlifting. So you did a lot of homegrown type of stuff, you know, um, neck bridging and, uh, you know, sit-ups and, you know, push-ups, just, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, um, it, it was – the road work probably wasn't – you know, that, well, that wasn't the big thing because you're, when I was you – know, we're all – we're talking young kids here. We were full of energy. 
But still running for me, because I had bronchitis really bad, running long distances was always a challenge. I could sprint. Running long distances was you know, always uh, something I did not look forward to doing. I did not, did not enjoy that. So that was more of a mental pain than it was a physical pain. But, um, yeah, well, everybody has a, you know, I think, I think sometimes I don't follow the movies now. I mean, I really don't understand, you know, don't understand, uh, understand where, you know, what, what people are drawing from now because I'm not into it. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, I remember watching the Gene Krupa story. I was a drummer and, you know, that movie inspired me to, you know, I, I, I was already playing the drums, but boy, that took it into overdrive, you know, um, I mean, now I wanted to be this great jazz drummer. And then, uh, so, you know, there's another movie that I, I guess I could have said I, I, I drew inspiration from, but I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of things. Um, but television shows too, or at least episodes of television sometimes, you know, gave me some inspiration. Um, but too, you know, you're young, you're impressionable, your, your thoughts change. And very few children, although I've known a couple that, you know, know, knew what they wanted to do when they were eight years old and went on to do it. Most of the time we change, you know, but I did know one kid that stuck with it. Unfortunately, he really didn't get his dream because of scholastic issues, but all throughout until he was, uh, last I saw, I was probably 21, 22, and he still had that dream going, of you know, wanting to do what it was he wanted to do when he was in the first grade. So I, you know, sad he didn't get to do it. But, um, so yeah, there's a lot to, to, you know, finding things that will motivate you or finding a person and it doesn't have to, it could be fictitious, you know, like, um, like Rocky is, you know, Rocky Balboa or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, just make sure that the goals are, you know, relatively attainable and I would think nowadays reaching your goal should be easier than ever because you have so many resources out there. You know, you can reach out to people or, or agencies or, you know, uh, just things that are there that, that, that weren't there for the previous generations. But um, so what's up with the, uh, with your training, uh, Nico, with all this moving, are you have you been able to train at all? No, oh, very little, because uh, I've been working about seventy hours a week, so I've had very little time for anything. When does I the get, work slow down for you? After Thanksgiving. So probably yeah, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, it'll slow down. It's coming up, so another couple months. But you know, this is when you can do a lot of downtime. You know, uh, driving to and from work. Use some mental training. Use visualization. I'm a big supporter and advocate of creative visualization. I've preached this for years to people. Um, use your mind because everything comes from our mind anyway. And sometimes you can um, actually get more benefit if your in-person training is is thoughtless. If you're just going through it by rote, you know, you're not going to really 
get as much out of it unless you stop and think and put everything in your mind first to make your body do what your mind wants it to do as opposed to just randomly doing it. Uh, and visualization, I've said this before, you need to visualize things absolutely slowly, slow motion, completely slow motion. And it's hard. It's hard for a person to even keep a single thought in their mind. I've, I've given this experiment to people before. Close your eyes and just think of one thing and nothing else. See how long that lasts. For some people, it's a matter of split seconds or very small seconds, two, three seconds, and then other thoughts start coming into their head. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to focus. And this kind of ties into what we were talking about last week with the uh, power of the mind and the physical strength and how you can do certain things. You really have to focus. And I mentioned how sometimes it will zone out where you can be in a room and not hear anybody talking to you because your mind is somewhere else. That's how it has to be when you're visualizing. You can't do visualization in a crowded room with the TV on and everybody talking to you or this or that. You, you, you've got to isolate kind of like a meditation, okay? And again, if you're practicing something in your mind, practice it slowly until it becomes quicker and, you know, you gradually increase it until you can, you know, um, do it full blast. The benefit to this is that it, you don't have to rely on your physical conditioning. Okay. Because many times in a gym, you have to, as a coach, or even for me as an athlete, I was smart enough to realize I got to stop because my, my form is breaking down because I'm tired, you know, or I'm uh, you know, whatever. I'm just, maybe I'm hurt or whatever it is. My form isn't there. So it's pointless to move forward because all I'm doing is wasting time and energy and muscle memory is, is, uh, you know, out the window. Uh, but you don't have those when you're visualizing, you don't have to rely on your physical. Um, many times when I was sick or injured or something laid up or didn't have a training partner, I would rely 100% on visualization. Otherwise, what, what good is it? And then, you know, I could slowly do things. I mean, I could practice certain techniques, you know, shadow boxing, shadow wrestling, whatever you want to call it. I could do that. But even when I was doing that, unless it was a warm up, or I'm just using it to get warmed up and get a little heavy breathing going, I was visualizing even while doing that. Okay, so I'm slipping the punch, you know, and I'm countering with the jab, you know, I'm thinking, I'm just not routinely doing it, you know, randomly, I should say, you know, I'm, I have thoughts in my mind constantly. So, um, you know, it's just the way it is. It's, it's all about focus, you know, and when you're in that gym and it's hard, I get it. If you've got problems at home or your problems with your job, sometimes hard to leave that at the door, you know, and conversely, sometimes, you know, in a relationship, it's hard to leave your training or your job at the door. You come home, you bring it all in, you know, and your significant other doesn't want to hear it. You know, it's like, Hey, let's have our time. So it, it's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to have that switch, to turn things on and off. At least that's, you know, it has been a challenge sometimes for me, but you know, I'm, I'm more of a loner type anyway. So I, I, I have more time to, um, you know, I've always been kind of scheduled. So I know I can, I can bring things home because I'm the only one at home normally. So, you know, but yeah, you got to focus, man. It's all about focus.
One of the things we want to talk about, and I want to talk about it today, was kind of verbal tactics. So, you know, in a, in a confrontation, you know, are there things you recommend to do or not to do? So I remember one of your stories of uh, Johnny Lira, I guess he was getting harassed by somebody. And um, eventually he realized it was going to have to, you know, become physical. And so he started, you know, like before and during the confrontation yelling, you know, uh, I'm in fear for my life, just so uh, any witnesses, you know, would, uh, you'd kind of have a little bit of an alibi, because obviously he's a skilled professional fighter, so it could look bad for him hurting somebody. Uh, but if he, you know, it's on the record that he's, you know, actually, you know, even though he probably wasn't afraid, he made sure that everybody around knew, um, uh, you know, would, would, do you have any uh, approaches like that that you prefer or you recommend? Well, that's a big thing now because the police use that a lot, you know, that they were in fear and that's why they pulled their weapon. So it's, yeah, it's a valuable thing. Um, well, again, here's, this is, okay. I've discussed this again too, you know, ad nauseum through the years. Um, when you go to a psychiatrist or a counselor or a psychologist, whatever, uh, you don't walk in there and get cured in one session you don't walk in there and, and maybe even get a, a good diagnosis um, in, in one session. And you may be technically rational and it you know, takes some time to comprehend this. And if you're going up in the street against someone who is completely irrational, you can't make uh, a consensus uh, of what this person's problem is in this and that. I mean, yes, you can use cognitive, cognitive dissonance, dissonance, or you can become aggressive verbally or whatever it is, or you can become, I don't want to say submissive, but more, you know, appropriating um, verbally, but it's impossible to, you know, rely on a psychological trick to save the day. Uh, psychology, verbal things to me are like ripping. They're, used for a momentary distraction to set up a, another move. And now I don't necessarily say that that move has to be physical, but it, it, it could lean to escape or it could lean towards, um, you know, diffusing the situation. Ultimately in the street, if you don't have, I mean, the perfect world for you is if you never had a street fight. Okay. That's, that's the goal here. It's not to win every street fight you have. It's to have none, okay, ultimately. But as we know, that's not always capable of happening. So now you, you can use your verbal skills as long as you're not banking on people coming to your aid because of your verbal skills. Because sometimes nobody's going to help you. And second, secondly, sometimes you don't want them to help. They could make matters worse. Okay, they could get in your way. They could inadvertently hurt you or they could escalate a situation, you know, that, that may have been uh, not as drastic at first. Okay, um, so your verbal stuff is kind of like ripping where I've said it before. Sometimes with ripping, you know, if a guy's laying there doing nothing and you start ripping on him, he's going to get all this energy. He's going to, you know, because he's re reacting. Uh, and then conversely, if he's gra grabbing you and he's using all of this force and you rip him po properly, he may let go. So, you know, it could be a positive, it could be a negative. Uh, and that's the same thing with, with your verbal thing. You, you can make matters worse 
or you can diffuse things. But be that as it may, in my opinion, you still have to have the goods to go, okay? I mean, you still have to know how to fight or at least know how to escape. So there's no one, one bag, you know, one thing fits all, okay? One size fits all. There's, and this just comes through studying psychology, studying humans. And um, you know, I, don't, I would not recommend relying 100% on body mechanics or body language, I should say, because, you know, that's not always, that's, that's still, I'm not saying it's a pseudoscience, but certain people have certain tics or certain mannerisms that can easily be misinterpreted. You know, um, crossing your arms over your chest, you know, is a sign of some of aggression or hands on hips, where there's just some people who are like that. That's just, that's just the way they are, even when they're alone. Okay, they just feel comfortable doing that. So, um, but in the case of what Johnny Lira was saying, yeah, uh, this guy was following him and Johnny could have fluffed, fluffed them off. It was easy. But yeah, he said it just to protect himself, you know, legally, you know, uh, because sometimes, you know, there, there's just people who are looking for trouble. They, you know, they may not even be a threat per se to like beat you up or kill you. They may be self-destructive you know, uh, physically or emotionally, you know, they may be, you know, reaching out. Um, and you just happen to be the chump that's, that's there. You could be the biggest guy they can pick on you. You could be the smallest guy. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You could be the redhead. The guy I don't like redheads because his ex-wife left him for a redheaded guy. Who knows? You know, you don't know, right? But we've all seen it. I mean, I've been a victim of it. You know, I've had guys, you know, mouth off that didn't know me just because they wanted to try to prove something, you know, not even knowing who I was just because I was maybe bigger than them or more popular than them in the place. Um, so, you know, yeah, I've, I've used verbal skills uh, and I've used a gamut of it, you know, from being very verbally aggressive and letting him know full well what is going to happen to him. And it's going to be something that, you know, in his wildest nightmare, he never could envision. And then other times I just blow, you know, blew it off. Ah, oh, come on, guy, you know, just relax, you know, here, let me buy you a hot dog. You know, I mean, whatever. So you, you just got to kind of sense the mood. But in Johnny's case, in that instance, this guy kept following him. I mean, Johnny left, went to another place, and the guy showed up. I mean, you know, now, you know, it's on. You know, you're being stalked here. So, um. I remember making a tape for someone once it was long before DVDs that he wanted, you know, and he got all offended. It was a street scenario thing and he got all offended because of the language. And I'm like, I said, that's the point. If you watching a video of me screaming and cursing and saying all these names offends you and you're in the safety of your room watching this, you're not prepared for a street fight because anything can go in a street fight. So I think, that is something that people have to become accustomed to. Somebody getting in your face, screaming at you, spitting on you, basically. Um, and, you know, all sorts of profanity, all sorts of threats. Uh, you know, not just towards you, but towards, you know, your family members or whoever they decide to, to threaten you with. Uh, this is all to get a rise out of you and to try to get you emotional. And... Um, even if you flare up and start screaming at them, 
as long as in the back of your mind, you know that you're doing that screaming as an act, that you're not technically losing control. You just want this guy to think you're losing control because now that may be your trigger, you know, your thing to trigger him to, you know, to scare him. Um, you, you, you may be all right, but it's when you actually do lose your cool and it's happened to everybody, but when you do lose focus and you lose control of yourself, uh, you're, you can't control him. You can no longer control the situation if you're out of control. So in psychology, specifically REBT, which is what I studied, you know, they, so you, you have to get distance sometimes, you, you, you know, uh, maybe it's physical distance, like leave the room if possible, or mentally at least distance yourself. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a deep subject because if this person knows you personally, that's one thing. If it's just some stranger, you know, his, his words should not really, <clears throat> you know, affect you unless it's direct threat. You know, if he's threatening to kill you, that's all you need to hear to act. Okay. Now you can act physically. You can, you can do, you know, he's elevated it now to the point where you're, you know, there's deadly force here being, you know, um, threatened here. And you can act, you know, with more aggression. But um, really, it always, it always revolves back to you. You know, are you going to let this person or people control you? Or are you going to control yourself? Um, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life as far as reacting to situations. And not everyone had to end up physical. Most of them, you know, thankfully, I was able to diffuse it in one way or the other. But when you start letting your own personal ego, when you look at it as a challenge now, um, you know, I think that's the, the wrong approach because my challenge shouldn't be defeating him. My challenge should be defeating the situation. Forget about him. It's now in my power. If I control myself, perhaps I can defeat this situation. I can give you specific examples of if that's what you're asking. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, if stuff comes up. I mean, kind of on another point before I forget it, though, it kind of reminds me of, you know, we talked about pain conditioning uh, and training and also just like training in your street clothes, training and whatever. It seems like maybe we've talked about this before, but bringing the verbal element into your training too. So, you know, saying, okay, today you're, you, you play the role of the asshole. You, you know, maybe you have a script that the coach tells you ahead of time. This is what I want you to say and do. And, um, you know, kind of go through that because I do feel there's like, just like you condition your body for trauma in some ways, psychologically, um, you know, we live, at least most of us are lucky enough to, to live in an environment where we, we're not, verbally accosted very often and it can be shocking you know if someone a stranger comes up to you and gets in your face or starts you know yelling all all kinds of crazy shit at you it can be shocking and throw you off your game you know if you're not conditioned to you know i think i like what a drill instructor does to the you know the recruits i mean part of it is just a psychological shock of having someone saying everything that's absolutely inappropriate and yelling at your face um you know and i do you think that's valuable in training um i know we uh well, I'll let you comment on that. It's valuable, and it's also 
done right, the most dangerous form of training there is. And I'll explain. So let's say you're six foot five, 350 pounds. And the coach wants somebody who's, you know, six foot to verbally go after the six foot five giant. And if you start saying stuff like, you know, you short little skinny runt or something, well, the giant guy is going to laugh this off. I mean, there's no role play here because it's, it's ridiculous. Okay. So the whole point in that kind of training is to hit home with, you know, let's call him your training partner. It's to hit home with your training partner to get that person agitated psychologically. And then after the smoke settles and the training session is over, your training partner is going to be thinking, he must have meant this, okay? This guy must, you know, everything he said about, he had, a, he had to be thinking this, okay? And it can damage your relationship um, permanently, okay? I mean, it, it could just go like way, it can go far if you get my point. Okay, there's things that are said that can't be taken back. But yet somebody's got to be that sacrificial lamb. Somebody has got to be the guy that can trigger his training partner or the whole class, whatever, one at a time. You know, otherwise, it's an exercise in futility. And this is why I've said before, getting a good training partner is maybe harder than finding a a wife or, you know, a perfect mate because they, you, you know, you have a, a physical and an emotional give or take in your training, okay? Most of the time, hopefully, the only physical interactions you have with your loved one is, you know, of a sexual romantic nature. But in training, you have that heavy-duty physical thing where you're boxing, kicking, wrestling, throwing, whatever. And then you add in the psychological aspect of it that I'm sacrificing my body today for you to make you better. And then tomorrow, let's say you're going to sacrifice it for me. Well, it's the same psychologically. You know, if, if I want to get to Nico, if I want to get to you, Joe, I mean, really get to you, I've got to hit, I've got to go where, you know, you're most vulnerable. Otherwise it's, you know, it's comical, you know, it's a joke. So can it be done? Absolutely. You know, once you get to know somebody, you know, everybody's sore spots, you know, what not to say. You know, but how are you going to come out of it looking? How are you as the aggressor going to look to this guy for forever? So you, you, you have to kind of find that kind of trust between each other. That, my friends, is very difficult. But again, we're talking about creating the greatest fighting person in the world here. That's my whole goal. And and you, you can't just be tough physically. You have to be tough psychologically. And, you know, you're, you're going to, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet here. So I don't know if a lot of people would even be willing to voluntarily get a tongue lashing, right? I can't speak for anybody else. So, but do I think it's beneficial? A hundred percent. I really do. I, I, I think it's totally beneficial. And to use your DI example, you know, you're, you're in boot camp for 13 weeks. Uh, you, you know certain things in the back of your head. You see the DI going after everybody. So while it'll blow your mind maybe in the initial stages, you, you quickly adapt and, and you, you still know it's 
It's role play. But when you're with this training partner, and now he's embarrassed you probably in front of the whole class, and of course everybody else is getting embarrassed because you're listening to their stories, you know, you're you're not going to be gone in 13 weeks, hopefully. This is something that you're going to last for years. And now you're, you know, you're kind of laid to bear there, okay? Your soul has been, you know, bared to the whole class. Uh, yeah, it can make for an interesting dynamic. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It is, you know. I getting bullied. And Tony, you used to be a bouncer, right? Yeah. So did you have to use a lot of um, verbal diffusion to de-escalate a lot of situations? Absolutely. And I will give one of my tricks away here. Um, I used to tell whoever the manager was or the owner, I said, I want 20 bucks. Give me a $20 bill. If I don't use it, I'll give it back to you at the end of the night, but I want $20. And when I saw... Um, and I had it in me, on me, okay? That's, this is the key here. When I saw guys getting into it, before, you know, I, I was observant, you know, uh, you, before punches are thrown, when, it, when it's verbal, I'd go up to them and I'd say whatever was appropriate. And I would just talk to them as a friend and say, look, I don't want any trouble. He says, you know what? This is bullshit. Guys, I re- I'm going to pay you out of my own pocket. I'm going to buy you guys a drink. I'm not going to get it out of the till. I'm not going to tell the bartender to buy you a drink. I'm going to buy you a drink. And let's just calm down, okay, guys? And if you guys want to buy me one, that's great. You know, let's just calm down. And I'd reach in and get the 20 and I'd tell the bartender, get these guys a drink. So right away now, they, they see that it's me doing it. And, wow, this guy paid out of his own pocket. Well, I technically didn't. They didn't know it because, you know, I already had the 20 on me from the owner. But as a bouncer, especially, you never, ever want to put your hands on somebody. Man, that's trouble. Boy, that's that's lawsuits and this and that and, you know, legalities that you don't want. So you really have to learn how to diffuse it. And um, you try to be neutral, but in certain cases where you can just cannot be neutral, it, you don't need to berate the bad guy, let's say, the guy that's in the wrong. Don't berate him and don't talk down to him. You know, separation is the key. Get these guys apart. And, you know, hope, hopefully there's no get-backs. Hopefully the guy, if he leaves, doesn't come back and get you as the bouncer or the other guy when he's leaving. You know, so <clears throat> you really do have to have the psychology behind you. And sadly, a lot of employers, you know, um, they just want the big guy or whatever. They want the guy that looks the part. Uh, and many times that can turn into being an antagonistic thing. Okay. Um, you know, you need somebody who's going to really have the, his, his head screwed on right that can talk down and attempt to deescalate. Okay. Because the last thing is an owner of a bar, you don't want to have the bartender or whomever always resorting to calling nine one one. Okay. Because your bar is going to get, you know, um, a rep, and if there is issues going down, you're going to get a ding on your license. And, you know, you're going to lose your license eventually. You just can't have that. So it's not like the movie Roadhouse where, you know, everybody's kicking ass all the time. You don't want that. Ideally, there's no violence in the bar. Now, that's, a, you know, like a utopia, but it, it can happen, okay? You, you, you can make it less – you can make it more tranquil, uh, 
but it comes from brains more than brawn. And there will be times where, yeah, it's, it's too late for that. And depending on the size of the bar you know, and, the, and the crew, they may not be able to witness what's happening until it's too late. Or it could have been a situation that happened before it was even in the bar. You know, it could have happened three days ago, and now they caught the guy in the bar, and now the shit's hitting the fan. But no, Nico, um, you're not Rambo when you're a bar bouncer, uh, you know, or security guy. You know, your, your job is to de-escalate. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked down a lot of guys, you know, um, and I feel good about it. doesn't always work, but most of the time I think it becomes, you know, like a contest, you know, it's all, it's like ego driven, not always again, not always, but many times it's an ego thing between the two of them and they may be talking themselves out of into something that they don't really want to do. You know, they, they may not really want to fight each other, but now they've, they've run their mouth so much and they made so many threats that they're almost like forced to do it. And they kind of may welcome someone to come in there of authority or whatever and break it up. So just do it correctly and do not put yourself in harm's way. You know, don't put your hands on anybody. Certainly don't, look threatening, but don't get blindsided yourself as the bouncer, you know, and it, it, the, do they have allies? You know, do they have other guys with them that may be momentarily away from the situation? They may be on a dance floor in a bathroom at the pool table, wherever, and they see you approaching and now you're going to get blindsided. So you have to protect yourself. You know, it's not worth dying for, but it's, it's a job. It's not for everybody. It's like a police officer. It's not for everybody. Okay. But um, yeah, use your verbal skills as much as you can. And, you know, I, I study some psychology, you know, get a book. You don't have to enroll in, you know, uh, a university, read, read some books on it, you know, um, and put it into practice. That's all I can say. Hope that answered your question. Did you ever see any fights escalate to the point of using weapons in the bar? Of course. Absolutely. You know, um, that, that, that's, that's probably happened in every major city or not even major city, but just that happens a lot. Um, you know, and it, it, that's to be, always in the back of your mind. You got to realize that this can escalate. That's why it's important to try to diffuse it as soon as possible. You know, um, you don't want it to get to that point because it could be, it doesn't have to be a gun, but it could be a glass, you know, hit, hit a guy in the head with the glass or a bottle or something or a chair or a knife or a cue stick or a pool ball or, you know, whatever. Um, you don't want that. And I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it. And I can't even tell you how many times I've heard from other people, not bouncers, even just people who witnessed this tremendous bar fight, you know, um, and it was just not good. You know, um, I, I don't know if my one friend who watches may watch these, he, you know, I don't want to even say his name because I don't want to put him on the spot, but you know, he ended up doing time for a, a bar situation when he was younger, you know? Um, and he talks about it openly. 
You know, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's just, come on. So, yeah, you don't want that. Um, I used to tell people back when, you know, AIDS was big, you know, in the beginning, you know, when it was bad with the blood, you, you, you want to avoid blood. Well, now, especially we got this COVID, um, and, you know, you don't want to even bodily fluids of any sort, you know, you, you, you know, you want to try to avoid that. So you want everybody calm. So they're not spitting and, you know, just, you know, spraying the room with stuff. <laughs> uh, but imagine in a, in a melee, oh my goodness. And innocent people are always at risk. And again, coming from bar owner standpoint, you definitely don't want that. You do not want people worrying about coming to your bar because it's a, or restaurant, you know, that, you know, or game room, you know, wherever, you know, you just don't need that kind of problem. So, and you don't want it to be militaristic either. You don't want to have, you know, a, a room that holds 20 people or 25 people and have four bouncers. I mean, you know, that's ridiculous too. But, you know, you just, it all comes back, Nico, to training. And, um, you know, when weapons are involved, you know, it's, it's a whole different thing. I mean, now, it, now Johnny Law has to get involved in this because now crimes, actual crimes are being committed here. And, um, you know, you need to properly you know, identify. I mean, now it's kind of easier because most places have cameras, so it'll all be, you know, on camera. But, you know, if it's a hit and run kind of situation where you, the guy pulls out a weapon, does what he has to do, and then bails, you know, you being the astute bouncer have, has to at least get outside and, and don't engage him, but get his, get his license plate or, you know, see what vehicle he's in or how he left which direction he was heading, you know, this, these are all vitally important. Uh, so there's more to it than just, again, being, you know, the big jacker in the place, you know, um, and as a bouncer, your ego ha again has to take a back seat. You know, um, if the, if the incident erupted into physical violence, you know, don't, just don't worry about your ego right now. Worry about, worry about the establishment, the customers, the patrons, and, um, you know, uh, you go from there. Don't make this about you unless it is about you directly, unless you are physically the one who's assaulted. It's never about you, you know, and you got to keep it like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, those are bad times, man. Bad, bad times. So what are you supposed to do if you're, if you're bouncing and let's say like a crowd of guys just erupt and chaos hitting each other with weapons pool sticks whatever i mean obviously you call 911 but it seems like if you even step into that situation it's just going to escalate even further i mean what can you do you protect the innocent people you protect the patrons that aren't involved in this melee okay first and foremost okay that's that's like a, a wildfire the, the group of guys it's a, it's a wildfire you get in the middle of that, if you're, you know, especially if you're the only bouncer there, you get in the middle of that and something happens to you, then what? Then there's, there's, there's no security left, okay? Uh, so you need to make sure that the patrons and the other employees, if it's a bartender or 
cook or, you know, bartender, hand cook, whatever. And the other patrons are safe. And that may mean escorting them out. That may, may, be, may mean telling everybody, grab your money, grab your purse, whatever. Let's, let's get outside. You know, the hell with the drinks. They can leave their drinks. You can always, you know, as part of an owner of a bar, you, 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 you know, I don't want to say you assume responsibility, but, you know, you, you can always replace their drink on the house, okay? Um, but that's what you need to do. And, but now, and that doesn't mean that you vacate the place, the premises. You, 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 you can't leave it unguarded. You got to go down with the ship to a degree. But you need to make sure that people are safe. It's the safety of the, of the employees and the customers that come first, okay? And to, to even get more direct, that melee that you're talking about would be like a whole house erupting and you're a fireman and all you have is a little home fire extinguisher. You, you know you're outmanned, you're outgunned. You go in there with that little home extinguisher, you're going to die. Well, same thing here. You know, you, you're, you're, you're probably not going to have a chance. So get them out and then talk or, or do whatever, um, you know, whatever the case may be. If you see somebody down, um, you know, if you think you can get them help, get them help physical, you know, get them out of there and escort them out. Uh, it's, it's just a nightmare, okay? But you cannot lose focus of what, you're, what you are as far as that goes, you're not necessarily, I don't want to see you're a public servant in, in the same way as a police officer, but you know, you're there to ensure that, you know, the customers are, are enjoying themselves in a safe environment. So no matter what, if, 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 if the place started on fire, you'd, you'd get everybody out. Okay. So you got to use a little common sense, get them out, make sure the customers are safe. That's how I would handle that and not try to be a hero. Hello. <laughs> What's fascinating is, I mean, when you think about how complex that is and the kind of decisions that have to be made, I mean, is there official, you can't, you don't ever get certified as a bouncer, right? I mean, there is no, because it seems like drilling those kind of scenarios, because I don't know if people, you know, in the, in the moment, especially someone who's maybe, you know, new to the job would necessarily think through those things, you know? I, I guess there's got to be professional bouncer training for people for like to go through scenarios. There is like when my, in my Tri-C program, I, if, if the person wants to study this stuff, I will teach them that. No, I, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no certification. There may be some sort, like you have what's called Bassett here in Illinois. I don't know. I can't talk about other states, but you know, you're licensed to be a bartender or serve alcohol, but that's like a $10 or $15 course that you just take on the internet. You know, you do it in one day. Um, you can't, so, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe there is. I know plenty of guys, I never got certified as a bouncer, so to speak, you know, um, but it's, it's still training. I could talk to you about this. Like I have just now, and maybe that'll turn a light bulb on for some people, but you can't, it's, you still got to train it. You got to study it, man. You have to master it on the inside. You have to think and make these split second decisions. And some people just can't do it. Not an insult to them. They're just not equipped for it. Or they're full of aggression and rage themselves, which is what you have to watch out for many times when you're looking for a bouncer. You know, you need somebody who's trustworthy, who's on, this, on the same side as the owner of the bar. And 
who's not there to, you know, get high or, you know, pick up chicks or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and sometimes it's the owner needs to, you know, pay the bouncer appropriately, a good one, you know, pay the guy appropriately, make sure he's not drinking on the job, make sure he's not, you know, whatever. Um, if he is, he's going to have a drink, one drink, you know, to calm things down. So he's, his, his judgment is still clear. Uh, but yeah, there's, there is a lot to this guys. Uh, if you want to do this right, otherwise, if you just want to hire a, a, a human robot or a statue, some big muscular, uh, you know, bodybuilder type, and you think that's going to be a deterrent, uh, yeah, maybe it will, but I would think again about that because, uh, you know, um, there's, again, there's just, you, the last thing you want is for the bar, uh, the bouncer to, or the bartender or anybody to have to get physical that you just, you just don't want that. And you also have to give that bartender the authority, a lot of bar owners, some of them are, you know, douches. They don't want to give the, the bartender the authority to throw somebody out. Okay. Uh, you have to have, you have to let that bartender be the quote unquote owner of the bar at that point in time, you know, and the bartenders are the first line for serving alcohol. They have to know when not to overserve this guy, you know, it, 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 and, and that becomes a, a lot of this goes back to the bartender. They have to be alert. They have to be sociable. They need to interact with every customer at the bar that they can't at the bar. Now I'm talking about not obviously if it's a big place and there's people in the back, you can't walk all over the place, but you've got to start talking to these people, listen you know, to the customers, get an idea of is their voice slurring or their speech slurring? Are, are they talking in an aggressive manner? Um, you know, what, there, so there's a lot of observance that has to go on. And as a patron, you have to realize this. You're, you're, you should know you're getting filmed. So you should understand that, hey, the bartender here or the bouncer or both are monitoring me as well just to make sure, you know, that I'm not getting out of line. Um, believe me, if, if you don't want any trouble and all of a sudden somebody's causing trouble, you may hope that the bartender or the bouncer steps in and ends it. So the bartender and bouncer and the patrons have to have a relationship where everybody is on each other's side. They're all there together. Um, but I have seen many times problems happen because a bartender overserved a person you know, just too much. And it could be that, you know, the owner's hurting financially and kind of wants that. But believe me, in this day and age with DUIs and everything else, uh, it, it will come back to bite the owner or the bartender or both, you know, in, in the ass. So um, there, yeah, there's a lot more to this guys than just uh, what would look what it would look like on the surface? It's quite deep, and it's still something that I tell people, especially like when I moved out here, and not not necessarily about violence, but just about how how to run a bar, and how many of the bar owners in this area and restaurant owners really are not running it the right way. Uh, they could have some improvement. Um, cause I have a lot of experience, you know, all these years and people that I know in Chicago and even Cleveland, you know, bigger cities, 
uh, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of them just don't want to hear it. You know, they they think, you know, they got a handle on things when really they don't. Um, so it's ironic because when you go into a let's call it a bar, you know, normally the first person you really see or interact, generally speaking, is the bartender. And the bartender can set the tone for everything. The owner may not even be there, or he may be in the back room, or there may not be a bouncer. So now your bartender or bartenders, depending on the size of the place or the quantity of people in there, really set, like I say, set the tone for this place. You know, how are, how are they dressed? How do they come on to you? Not come on, you know, romantically, but how do, you know, how do they interact with you? Uh, you know, are they quality people or are they up to something? You know, so um, a bouncer needs to know this as well. You know, a bouncer needs to know is, is that bartender really my ally or is that bartender working against me here? Okay. Um, so yeah, this is a deep, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but I'm kind of glad we are because this is a subject that I'm not sure is really broached too much. Cause I don't you know, hang out on the internet, you know, looking for bar stuff or, you know, bouncing stuff, but there, there is a lot, there is a lot to it. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about trying to find good bartenders and waitresses, people who are going to make, make it better for you to be there as opposed to, you know, causing any kind of grief. And, and I, that I don't go out any, anymore or anywhere where there's bouncers, but um, back in the day I did. And um, I knew some good ones, but I, I, I also knew some bad ones, you know, that were like, you know, going to make things worse. So there's no blanket statement, but in this day and age now with COVID and whatever, just even before COVID, the going out stuff, at least in the types of places that I go out, I don't go to nightclubs. Uh, the, uh, it was less and less, less people, less people. And the people that were going out, they drank less because, you know, DUI laws and everything, which is appropriate, you know, um, but that does not mean there's still not trouble. You know, all it takes is one guy who may have had a bad day or who had, who had too much. Um, hell, the last time somebody got cocky with me, it, it was a guy, but he was in the wrong and he tried to apologize, but then his wife started up because they were drunk. They were smashed, you know, and, uh, which I, which I found this kind of comical. And then the guy was really afraid, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, so you just don't know. <laughs> it, could, it could come out of left field. You just got to be prepared. I was just a customer. I wasn't working there. You know, I just, this was not too long ago, maybe a year or so ago, a couple of years ago. So. so. So as a bouncer, do you, did you typically have to step in when somebody had enough to drink and tell and help out the bartender and say, listen, you know, you've had enough to drink and did you have to escort them out and, or were most of the guys very compliant? Okay, so that's on the bartender to, first of all, make the call that you've had too much. And then, it, you know, and the bartender should just say, hey, I can't serve you anymore. You know, would you like a glass of water? Would you like a 7-Up? Would you like a Coke, cup of coffee? Whatever. Only in an F, if, if, he, if he or she is not complying with that or if the bartender asks them to leave and they refuse, then, then it's up to the bouncer. Then, then it was up to me to step in. Okay. Otherwise, I have no right to go in there without a signal from the bartender. That's the bartender's territory. Um, 
And yes, overwhelmingly, they were cooperative. Not across, not 100%. You know, and yeah, there were times where I had to escort people physically, my hands on them physically out the door, okay? Um, but even most of the time doing that, nobody got hurt. They understood. Uh, but yeah, my verbal skills, and maybe it was my presence of how I approached it was normally enough. But each and every time I did it, I was cognizant of my vulnerabilities and I never let the guy get the drop on me. Okay. Um, they can mouth off, but you, you got to let them know that they're just digging a deeper hole for themselves without saying it to provoke them to challenge you to a fight. Because again, it's not about you as the bouncer. You are there to protect the business and the employees and, and clientele um, that are in there. And, you know, that, that's just, just the way it is. So, but yeah, I do, I don't like bouncers who butt in when they're, when they're, when they're really not asked. The bartender normally is the one who should make that call uh, on, on cutting, cutting somebody off. And then, you know, you go, then you're, call, you're called in afterwards. When you actually do have to um, physically get involved, you know, are, you know, I'm thinking about like cops with the chokeholds and things like that and how that's become a thing. Are there holds, I guess it's two part question, holds that you, are your go-to holds for bouncing? And then ones that you say, I got, these are off the table. I can't use these unless, you know, unless a real threat has been made to me, that kind of thing. Well, sure. And every, you know, generally you want to tie up their arms and, you know, uh, maybe a half Nelson with a, uh, uh, you know, hammer lock or, ch you know, chicken wing, get the guy up off the ground. If you can carry him out. Um, but you know, you, you want to kind of get their arms. You do not, it's important to realize if you're dealing with somebody who's intoxicated, you don't need them to fall. All right. You do not need that to happen. Um, because the fact that they're intoxicated can come back and bite the establishment in the butt. Okay. And once you physically engage, uh, you are putting yourself in a state of liability. Okay. Uh, if this person gets injured or something like that, it can come back on you using excessive force and so on. So you have to be very careful. And to make a blanket statement, what move would I use? It all depends on where this guy is at, if he's making threats or if he's just, you know, being, you know, belligerent, I'm not going to leave. Nobody can make me, you know, I run this town, you know, that kind of shit, you know, that's not threatening. Okay. That's just being belligerent. And, and therefore you, you know, sometimes reaching out to grab the guy can just take it to the next level. And you cannot, this is bouncer or, or just customer. You cannot count on the clientele to be on your side. I've said this before in a street fight scenario or a bar fight scenario, you have to assume everybody's against you. So you, you would hope that the customers there would, would be on your side and say, Hey, everything went down. You know, the, you know, the bouncer, Tony was above board, but you don't know that. Okay. So you have to make sure that 
anything you do is, is you have to underreact as opposed to overreact, but then you have to be in a physical position to escalate it instantaneously to save yourself or save someone if the, if the scenario became that. This, this is not word salad. This is hard for me to explain because so many things can happen. But that's why I say it's important to, t if you are going to make that decision to tie them up or put your hands on them or something like that, you want to get their arms because their mouth, can, what's their mouth going to do? They can MF everybody in there and all of this. That's just words at that point in time. But you need to um, make sure that their arms or hands aren't reaching for a weapon, a weapon that they may have or an improvised weapon, picking up a beer bottle, cue stick, whatever, you know, whatever's there. So that's really important, okay? And <clears throat> again, that's all situational. And, and, and the, uh, let's call them the drunk, you know, uh, although he may not technically even be drunk, um, they're going to determine that. You shouldn't. There should be ground rules of when it's okay to be physical. You really, really need to leave that till the, basically till the very end. You know, talk your way, you know, show the guy, move him this way, you know, tell everybody else to stay the hell out, you know, because again, customers can sometimes mean well, <clears throat> but just they can antagonize and make things worse. So you have to show professionalism. You have to let everybody in that place know, hey, the bouncer's got it. He's okay. And um, you need hand signals, or not the, how should I say, you need signals between you and a member of authority in the bar, such as a bartender or manager or whatever, be it a wink, be it a, the way you touch your face or something, touch your elbow, to let them know you need to call 911, okay, because this is going to get bad. And the good thing is even if you get the guy out of the bar and the police do show up, fine, okay, there's not going to be a ding on the bar. You, you, were, managed, you, 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 you were able to manage to, to handle this. But the last thing you need is for this guy to start pulling out a gun and shooting up, and it was, it's too late to call 911, right? So sometimes I'm not saying to jump the gun. This is, again, where you have to have a bouncer that knows what the hell he or she's doing. They have to be cognizant of the psychology of a person uh, and, and where they feel that this may go. And as I said, make the signal, okay, and that means the bartender or whoever, whoever else is there, uh, now we'll call 911. So there's a lot to this, guys. I mean, this isn't the movies. I'm sorry, it just isn't, you know, the movies. You don't want it to become like the movies, and it has become like the movies sometimes. But, you know, you just you try to prevent that. So there's a lot to this. And, you know, I'm not going to put myself, you know, $75 a night for this shit. No, uh, -uh. you know, that's just, you just got old, you know, it, it's, it's just not worth it to put yourself at risk, you know, for, for peanuts, or you have to worry about the get back if, if it does happen. But I've been the unofficial bouncer in pretty much every place I go where they don't have a bouncer, right? But they know if I'm there, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep things the calm. And I've done, I mean, 
I've had some of my students witness it. You know, I mean, I've managed to derail everything, okay? Um, and again, it's because of my skills, of my verbal, my, able, my, my way of presenting myself, let's say, verbally and physically, without having to be the tough guy. Now, it doesn't mean that I haven't had to hit or do things. Yes, but, you know, sometimes things get to the point where, you know, it's escalated. But it's never been on me that escalated it. It's them. What else do you need to know? The Cleveland Browns are playing tonight, uh, today. They're playing against the uh, Indianapolis Colts, which, which, which is going to be, I think, 325 games. So I'm looking forward to that. Just change the subject briefly. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that seems to be, like, the most important quality from what I'm hearing from you in a bouncer is – to be able to detach yourself from that situation, not get your ego involved, and know how to really deal with people and de-escalate. And I mean, bartenders. There are yeah. more bartenders in this country or world than there are bouncers. Yes, detach yourself. So that, that seems like a very unique individual, someone that actually knows how to handle themselves physically, knows how to fight, but really doesn't get their ego involved can detach themselves from the situation and knows how to verbally de-escalate situations more so than, you know, yes. And police too. I mean, it, this isn't just about anybody who, who interacts, you know, with, with the public, uh, police officers, uh, bouncers, uh, cashiers at, you know, at a restaurant or whatever, you know, cashiers at, you know, Hobby Lobby or whatever. If you, if you get somebody who goes off, you know, yes, it, it, Again, not everybody is cut to do it. And some people are going to be better at it than others, just like some are going to be physically stronger or tougher than others. Um, but when you're in a position, in, in a job such as police or a bouncer or something, security, where, you know, bodyguarding and everything, where you are expect, you know, you know that, well, there's an elevated risk of me getting in into some sort of altercation. Um, you really need to work on your skills, your verbal, your presentation skills, because it's not always just verbal. It's your physical presence. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I can't say that it's not being taught. I don't, I wouldn't believe it is. Or if it is, it's just cursory. It's just nothing. You know, it's something that has to be practiced deeply. Okay. Uh, and, and constantly, just like you would lift weights. You quit lifting weights. You know, your strength may go down. Your body shape may, may, may change. Well, you know, your, your mind is the same way. Okay, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So, uh, and it, again, I've known some people that they can let things roll off them, you know, like nothing, like, you know, water off a duck. But that, that may not always be the right way as well. You can't just be a, a, a chump and show complete weakness. It's about showing control and not just control of the person, but the most important thing is control, is control of yourself. If the drunk is, if you start raising your voice, screaming on blah, 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 he's won. He's probably got what he wanted. He got a rise out of you. Okay. Or if you're the bartender, you know, and he starts name calling you and you lash back. It's, 
it's, it's a psychological game here, okay? It, it really is. Whether the, again, let's label the person the drunk, whether, you know, I don't mean to be, do that because there's plenty of people, vast majority of people who are technically drunk are not troublemakers. But for the sake of this, you know, the drunk, you know, may not even really want that, you know, going into it. But, you know, this, this guy may be projecting or she may be projecting their own issues. So again, yeah, detach. You know, and sadly, I, 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 you know, bartenders can get, get a lot of grief, okay, because they are the front line, once again, with the customer. And, you know, it's a tough decision for a bartender to tell somebody he can't have anymore, okay? Uh, and that right there can be enough to flare somebody up. So you, you have to approach when, when, when it's getting to that point. You know, or you think you're going to have to cut this person off. You, you need to learn how to do it in a non-antagonistic way. I can't give out examples because I don't know who's going to be watching this, and I don't want to be speaking on behalf of other bar owners who may say, oh, my God, you know, he just he just gave away the, you know, the keys to the city here, but... Um, in my opinion, I'm going to do it anyway. In my opinion, it's always letting them know, hey, come back another day and you're going to have fun. We can start this all over again. And one of the best ways is to give them a drink chip. You know, give them, give them a free drink, but not for tonight. You know, if your bar has chips, give it to them. Say, you leave tonight. You know, go ahead, man, go home, whatever. You know, whatever, however you want to talk to them. Here's a drink coming for you the next time you're in, next time you're here. Okay, show them something. And whatever it is that they're drinking, I mean, depending on the bar, it shouldn't be that expensive. No matter what the customer's cost is, it's not, it's, not how much, it's not about how much you charge for the drink. It's how much the drink costs you as the owner. So let's say you're giving away 2 or $3 your cost. That may be a hell of a lot more beneficial than trouble. Okay, if you can buy yourself out of it as a bar owner or whatever, restaurant owner is two or three dollars. Boy, you know, that's the way. So and, and two, you don't want everybody to be an automaton. You, you know, you, you need to have bartenders that can handle things in their own way, because, again, they have to have some power behind there. But I think if you would just as an owner, let them know, hey, you have the power to, to buy people drinks or to cut them off. But let's make sure we do everything, you know, appropriately. And I tell a lot of owners of bars and restaurants this, I'm a business owner. I've been a business owner for 25 years or more, whatever. I know what I'm capable of doing to help a customer. I can give them a free product or I could, if they come for an hour less and I can train them for an hour and a half, you know, the extra half hours on me or an hour and 15 minutes, whatever I want to do, I have leeway. And, and they do as well. So ultimately, it's entertainment here, guys. When you go to a restaurant, when you go out to eat, wherever you go, it's like that. It's entertainment. You want everybody to be entertained, and not just the person that you're directly with, but everybody in the room. So um, I believe that there should be seriously training the staff, let's put it that way, on, on how to deal with this. Uh, unfortunately, I've known a lot of staff members who've, you know, really have a lot of nice things to say about the owners. 
the owners themselves probably need this training, right? They're, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get into it other than that. People who are, who are out there know what I'm talking about, especially you female bartenders that are watching. Um, you know how sometimes your, your boss can be a sleaze. So, you know, that's on you to either stay there or quit. I, I can't, I can't help you there. But yeah, you just need, they need to have, they need to have awareness that, you know, it shouldn't be about you. Don't make it about you. And if it, it's become about you, then control you. Okay. Let's just, you know, don't let this thing escalate anymore. So that's it. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something good. Joe's hair. Your your hair looks much better this week. Well, I, I, they do this thing where you can wash it now, I found out. Oh. So I'm going to start looking into that a little bit more. Well, make sure you tip your, bar to, uh, your barber or your, your hairstylist well. I mean, it'll help. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm kind of actually in, in tribute. This is kind of a, I'm going to use this as a segue. Um, I'm kind of, I think I'm going to go for like, like an 80s hair metal kind of a thing, ultimately. We'll see if I can keep with it. But my point being, the, the segue is, you know, we've talked about, we've lost, you and I are a little bit older, so more and more icons of like our generation are, are passing away. It seems like every week we can mention someone, you know, a couple of weeks ago was Gail Sayers. You know, we lost Diana Rigg. And Evie. I know this may, may, may not mean anything to you, but uh, uh, this week we lost Eddie Van Halen. So I don't even know if Nico cares about Eddie Van Halen. He's younger than us, so... I don't know what, what music he listens to, but uh, we lost Nash. I can see clearly now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was shocked when I saw that Eddie Van Halen died. Well, you know, I appreciate, you know, I'm a jazz guy, but of course I appreciate it. I mean, you can't, you can't be a musician without uh, respecting him and, and just forget about, I mean, he's 65 years old, you know, that is sad, you know? Um, and he, uh, you know, contributed and Van Halen in general contributed a lot to the eighties. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like another part of our childhood or whatever that's gone, you know? Um, and shit, I'm 56. I'm too young to have everything die on me, but it just, you know, you, this is part of it. I mean, I remember vividly where I was and who I was with when I, and I, when Michael Jackson died. He can't, you know, I happened to be sitting at a table at a Polish buffet, Jolly Inn on the north side of Chicago. Um, and it came up on the TV. And, you know, my girlfriend was in the line at that point getting more food. And when she came back, I'm like, you're not going to believe this. You know, Michael Jackson just died. Wow. And I was on the phone with Scott, my friend, when um, the news came over to TV that uh, Kobe Bryant died. You know, um, it, yeah. As a matter of fact, I was with Scott and his girlfriend when, you know, I saw that Eddie Van Halen died. You know, yeah, it's a shock. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to see him two or three years ago. Uh, I got to see the band. They had it back with David Lee Roth. They were just doing a world tour. And, um, you know, he put on quite a show. I mean, they are showmen. And uh, when he did his solo, it was very interesting. Just, you know, I, I know it's, it's mostly effects but all these kind of crazy, weird, ethereal sounds. And I was like, wow, you know, he was actually someone I'd want to go back and see live again. I mean, that was definitely on my radar to do. Uh, and I actually wanted my son Ben to come along because, you know, he's a rock fan too. And, you know, nope, no such luck. You know, it's just, I was lucky to get to see him when I did. You know, that's, it's kind of been a, 
a, a sober reminder uh, to kind of like, you know, try and see things and do things while you can, because there's no guarantee. You know, he didn't look sick when I saw him a few years ago. You know, he was playing, he played a full, you know, 90 minute show, no problem. You know, um, it just goes to show you, man, it can turn quickly on a dime. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's really kind of, you know, a deep philosophical reminder to like savor the time you have right while you have it, you know. Yeah, it's happened to me on several occasions. Missed opportunity for Sinatra, missed opportunity for a guy named Pete Jolly. My mom actually got to meet him and her girlfriend. I was actually playing a job out of town, so I couldn't meet the guy. And uh, Sergio Franchi, you know, I was there at the fairgrounds, you know, the Festa Italiana, and I chose to see Dick Cantino as opposed to Sergio when Sergio died that months later. Okay, it was, I figured I'd catch him next year, you know, and and he, and he was young. He was in the early 60s or something, 61 maybe. I, I don't recall now. And uh, thankfully, I was able to see Buddy Rich. I got to see him about five times, the drummer. Um, one time was canceled because Count Basie died. So uh, uh, he, uh, I believe it was Basie's death or Harry James. I believe it was Count Basie's death. And um, yeah, so yeah, yeah you got to take advantage of, of, of this stuff while you can. And um you know, I could have seen Tony Bennett. Now, I don't want to give him the kiss of death. He's still around, okay? Uh, so I probably should see him. I also missed an opportunity to see Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is my favorite group of that era. Well, I shouldn't say my – well, probably they are, but one of them, you know, because I like so many. Stevie, uh, Steely Dan, uh, you know, Toto, all of that. I liked a lot of different varieties of music. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know me. I'm the – more people have died in my circle than anyone I know. And we're approaching 60 now, close to 60 people that I know have passed away just in the last, since December 9th, 2012. And we're not even talking about people before then. Johnny Lira started this, you know, he was the one that, you know, all of a sudden started all this, this death thing with me, even though I have lost people naturally before then. So I'm numb to it. You know, I mean, I've, and that's not good for me psychologically to become numb, but you know, my life has just been one stressful negative thing after the next, boom, 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 boom. You just, you know, you, you, you literally reminds me of that one time when I was getting wailed on by guys with the ball bats, I felt nothing until later, but I felt nothing. I went, I went numb, physically numb. I didn't feel anything. And that's how it becomes emotionally when it's just, you just get beat up and you just, the sense of loss becomes so overwhelming over and over and over and over and over, you know, and I'm bracing it for, with it for my mom. You know, I mean, I just lost Cheetos, my dog. I lost my buddy, you know, uh, throughout this Bob O'Brien a little bit over a year ago now, you know, and the big Lou and just, it, and others is just on and on one after the other comes in bunches, you know, I hate to even name names because then you, you leave out Tan Paul. I mean, there's so many. I could go on. I got almost 60 of them, you know? Um, but yeah, Eddie Van Halen was a shock because I did not know. I don't, like I say, I don't follow him like that. I did not know he had cancer. I, I just was, and I'm out of the loop on all of it. So it, it really came as a shock to me. You know, um, the Kobe thing, of course, came as a shock to everybody because he wasn't sick. You know, it was just a tragic accident. But, um, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, cherish the time we have. That's why I appreciate you guys. Saddens me that Nico's going to move even further away, but 
hopefully we can see each other shortly. If not, we got to wait till spring and, and make sure it happens. Uh, this is nice. Or even during the week, if we were training, we could do a vir- virtual thing if we were back at that. But there's nothing like being in someone's presence, you know. Um, to me, that's what it's all about. Unity, you know, being with, being with people that, you know, mean something to you. And um, that's another thing, too. I, I don't want to bring up any names, but, you know, like, I'll just use it generally. I'll speak because I'm, I'm the single one out of the group here. You could use women who will say, I want a guy that does this, 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 and this. And, I, and I've had this discussion with, with women. I'm like, you know, I have a lot of friends. And I don't go to each friend for something in particular. Or I go to each friend maybe for something in particular. Like, you know, they'll say, well, I want a guy who'll go kayaking and, you know, uh, you know uh, water skiing and, you know, snow skiing and whatever it is. You know, I don't even have guy friends that I have everything in common with, okay? You know, when I was talking about cars, it was either Kevin or my friend Dave. You know, um, if it's shooting pool, it was, you know, let's say Scott. If it was just joking around and having just yuck yucks, it's my friend Vince. You know, I don't have a one-size-fits-all friend. And, you know, my point here is I don't try to judge everybody. Like, I like Joe more than I like Nico or this or that. I care about everybody equally, or at least I attempt to. And, and I draw from each one of you as an individual. I'm not looking for a guy friend, for example, or a lady friend that's going to, you know, cover all my bases. No. And, you know, um, I find that, you know, kind of difficult even, you know, I cannot be the jack of all trades for someone. You know, and my friends come to me for specifics. You know, they don't, there's times when I don't want to talk to Tony today. I'd rather go with, you know, Joe Blow, you know. Um, I get that. That's how it is. But to get to the point, yeah, it's good to let everyone know now and then just how much they mean to you. You know, and if you're not the verbal type of guy, you can't get it out. Well, there's other ways of doing it, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of a simple hello. Hey, I was thinking about you, you know, for no other reason, you know, than, than, than that. And, uh, you know, now it's easier for me because I have so few friends left because I've lost so many to death that, uh, you know, I do take the time to tell everybody how much they mean to me verbally because, you know, I don't have the hundred people left in my life. Okay. You know, it's, it's down to 10 or whatever, you know, if that, so, um, but you two guys, you know, have families and, you know, you, you look at life, obviously a little different and, uh, you know, I'm the wildcat, you know, I'm the single guy that's, you know, man about town, you know, uh, but, and that can be threatening to <laughs> wives or girlfriends, like what kind of trouble is Tony going to get? Yeah. But um, I admire both of you guys going through your marriages and rate, you know, raising the families and, you know, the stability, you know, um, that's admirable. Believe me. But, you know, it doesn't always happen for everyone. But is there anyone else in the music or entertainment world that that we know of that, that means something to you that may be that's in ill health? That, you know, I mean, outside of, like I said, Tony Bennett, who may not be in ill health, but he's in his 90s. That, that's the only one I could think of right now. I mean, I'm sure there's more, but 
anyone for you two that you're a fan of and think maybe you should step on it? Uh, no one that I could think of. I'm not, I'm not really a big concert person. Um, and I'm not really, I don't follow musicians super closely, but I, I like to listen to all different types of music. So there's no one that I could really think of. Tony Bennett is definitely one of the greats, though. So. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, well, I, I met this young kid the other day, young, but 30, and he's a guitarist and so on. And we just got to talking and blah, 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 about guitar, this, everything. Van Halen was actually the one who prompted the conversation. And I played for him a clip of Glenn Campbell, who was one of the greatest guitarists that ever lived, playing Indiana, back home again in Indiana, live, and at, you know, breakneck speed. This kid's... He couldn't believe it. He's like, oh, my God. He started forwarding it to all of his musician friends, just what kind of chops Glenn Campbell had. So when Glenn died, that, that, that hit me pretty hard. You know, the thing, that, Buddy Rich dying was the hardest I've ever been hit, um, without question, um, musically. Outside of, like, my music teacher, somebody that I actually knew. I'm talking about somebody I didn't know. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, now my favorite guitarist, I, I hate to single out one guy because I like so many, but, you know, Glenn, uh, George Benson, um, who's just a monster player. But, uh, you know, there were so many in the past that are gone, you know, um, that, I, that I got to meet or played with or listened live or just listened to. Um, but as we mentioned on a several previous podcasts, music has kind of lost its allure with me. Um, and it's not because of the music. It's because of me, something in me. I've walked away. Music didn't leave me. Um, music is still there. I took a step back, but I need to hopefully get back into that. But anyway, it's looking like that clock on the wall is saying that we have, you know, went through another hour and a half of uh, wasted breath. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for being here. That was a really, really good conversation. It took a different direction, but I thought we got some really good information out there. So I was really, uh, really happy that we had this talk. We, we don't, pl guys out there in the audience, we don't normally plan this. Or maybe Joe will say, hey, do, you know, send an email. Hey, do you want to talk about, you know, one, th whatever, one thing. We don't really plan this out. I'm like when I did all my videos. I mean, I'll say I want to do a video unless it's specific, like the wrist lock seminar or something. I don't plan it. I just do it. I don't have a script. <clears throat> I'm an improvisation ad lib kind of guy on everything. You know, um, when I did the snap, no tap, we went into this room and they had things on the wall, notes and things from previous, they call them authors, previous guys who have done videos. I had none of that. You know, I'm like, let's go, you know, there's no notes. Let's, you know, let's, we're going to wing it. That's just how a jazz guy operates. You might have a little outline, but it's all about your creativity. So that's how I operate the best. And especially what, you know, I don't have the world's greatest memory any longer. So if I were to memorize something, it would be kind of difficult for me. I would be bumbling and whatever. I'd rather just <clears throat> wing it. But I couldn't do this without Joe and Nico. Um, there, there are two great guys and they deserve the credit because they're the ones who talked me into wanting to do this uh, podcast. As a matter of fact, I believe it was an eco and then Joe jumped right on it. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully we can build momentum uh, in the future with this. 
and look forward to getting a next guest. I have a couple people that I'd like to ask. It's just now, you know, maybe we'll just need to cruise until we get out of the holiday season, you know, cause that's coming up. Um, so maybe we can start sending out feelers for the first of the year, you know, and get, get some more people on here lined up once a month, have somebody on or, or have a couple at the same time. Um, no harm in that, you know, uh, and, because even once the COVID thing goes, you know, we get back to normal, we, we're not going to still meet in the same location. We're going to probably do this, you know, uh, at a distance, you know, for as long as we get the podcast going, except maybe on rare occasions, which would be nice if we could get together. But, but have a good week, gentlemen. And that includes you, Joe. Um, you're a man, but I don't know about this gentleman thing. I don't know. But... Remember, don't make it about you. Don't let me get under your skin. Breathe. Definitely keep me in practice on that. Breathe. <laughs> All yeah. right. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week. See you guys. All right. Take it easy. See you guys. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs>